Please open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Amen. Since Election Day is Tuesday, I see yard signs all around us. Of course, some of these yard signs are promoting one political candidate as opposed to another. But this year, I've seen another type of yard sign displayed, particularly in Hollowell. Here's a, a picture of the sign. And when you look at the sign, you see that the person in this house supports various political positions and movements. But at this time, there is one word and one word only that I want you to focus on. Believe. In this house, we believe. This yard sign, then, is a creed. It is a statement of faith about what the person in the house believes. But it is a different kind of statement of faith. Most people today associate creeds and statements of faith with religious people. We Christians, for example, believe the statements of faith that are found in the Apostles' Creed. But there is no religious statement of faith being made in this yard sign. There is nothing in this yard sign about what the person in the house believes about Jesus or God or about Allah or Brahma, for that matter. Instead, the yard sign talks about other things that the occupant of the house in a secular town like Hollowell believes. The sign then says something very interesting to me. The assumption of many people in our secular age is that if you believe in a religion, you are living by blind faith. But if you are an enlightened, secular person, you do not believe in God, and you are also at the same time grounding your position in evidence and in reason. Secular people do not live by faith. Instead, they live by facts and reason. But take a look one more time at this yard sign. In this house, we what? We believe. It turns out, then, that secular people have faith also. Secular people believe in things just as much as Christians do. The truth is, then, that everyone believes. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you believe that Jesus is God or not, you are living by faith. And if everyone believes, it is not the stretch to say that everyone also worships. We all worship something that is greater than ourselves. The important question is, who is it that you worship? Last week we saw from Habakkuk chapter 2 that the two kinds of people in the world are the proud and those who live by faith in God. Let's look today then at the end of Habakkuk 2 and see who the proud and who the faithful worship. First of all, the proud worships idols that they have made. In Habakkuk chapter 2, we see God pronounce a series of judgments on the Babylonians. God had told Habakkuk, his prophet, 
that he was raising up the wicked Babylonians to bring judgment on his chosen people of Israel for Israel's sin. Habakkuk did not understand what God was doing. And so Habakkuk got into the wrestling ring with God over God's plan to use the wicked Babylonians to punish Israel. God then let Habakkuk know that the Babylonians weren't going to get away with their wickedness. God himself would ultimately judge the Babylonians. And so five times in Habakkuk chapter 2, God uses the word woe. The word woe means great sorrow. The last time that God says that woe is coming for the Babylonians is in verse 19, where we read God say, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake. God is telling Babylon that you are going to be really disappointed if you worship an idol of wood. That idol will not be able to help you. You cannot tell a wooden thing to wake up. The piece of wood remains asleep. It will not help you. How foolish it is to worship an idol. How stupid it is to believe that some man-made idol can save you. In fact, the discussion about the folly of the worship of idols is begun in verse 18. We read there, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image a teacher of lies. God is taunting the Babylonians here. He is reminding them that their idols are completely useless. They have no power at all. God would give this same teaching about the futility of idols on the last night of Babylon's existence when the prophet Daniel spoke to King Belshazzar of Babylon. Daniel said to the king in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 23, But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. So here is the summary of what God is saying to King Belshazzar. You fool. You worship idols. People, you worship pieces of metal and wood. These idols have no power. They can't see or hear or know anything. They can't do anything for you. But I hold your life in my hand. I have given you life. I sustain your life. I am in control of all your ways. And yet, you have not worshipped me. Judgment then fell upon the proud Babylonians because they worshipped false gods and they held the one true God in contempt. The Babylonians' idols were teachers of lies, according to verse 18. Some human being had made the idol that the Babylonians worshipped. And yet they had turned around and put their trust in this thing that they had made. They had given to this lifeless idol the power of a god. What a lie! What a delusion! 
A nice turn of phrase at the end of verse 18. God calls the Babylonian gods speechless idols. These idols could be said to be dumb dummies. They are dumb in that they cannot speak, and they are dummies in that they know nothing. They are not alive. So how can they know anything? God then mocks the Babylonians for their worship of a lie. They could have worshipped the one true almighty God, but instead they worshipped a dumb dummy. Some of you might say, well, the Babylonians might have proudly refused to worship the one true God. They might have stupidly worshipped an idol. But not me. I would never do something like that. Now let me remind you this morning that idolatry is not just worshiping a piece of metal or wood. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5 says that covetousness is idolatry. And what does it mean to covet? To covet is to desire to possess something that belongs to someone else. If you covet money then, what are you worshiping? An idol. And if you covet the things that money can buy, what are you worshiping? An idol. Recently, I have read the sad stories of what happened at the end of the lives of the singer Frank Sinatra and the Marvel comic book artist Stan Lee. At the end of his life, Frank Sinatra kept giving concerts for his fans, even though he was very sick. In his last concerts, he would forget the words to songs that he had sung a thousand times. He would feel so sick at the end of his shows that he would need oxygen from a tank to revive him. His daughter told him that he could stop doing these concerts. But Frank Sinatra's reply was, No! I've got to earn more money! I have to make sure that everyone in my family is taken care of. In the same way, at the end of his life, Stan Lee would travel from convention center to convention center around the country to sign some of his own comic books. When he was over 90 years old, Stan Lee was making $120 for every comic book that he signed. But he got so tired in signing his own autograph that he frequently fell asleep while he signed. At other times, he appeared on video to forget how to spell his name. His handlers could be heard in the background spelling out his name as he wrote his autograph. S-T-A-N. Now, why would anyone go through all of this? There was an idol that Stan Lee and his handlers we're worshiping money. Are you sure that you don't worship the same idol? Earlier I spoke to you about some of the creeds that people today believe. The author Mark Twain once took some of the Christian creeds and reworked them in 1871 to talk about what people in his day truly believed. Question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, to get rich. Question, in what way? 
answer, dishonestly if we can, honestly if we must. Question, who is God, the one only in truth? Answer, money is God, gold and greenbacks and stock, father, son, and ghosts of same, three persons in one. These are the true and only God, mighty and supreme. Now Mark Twain's creed about money is blasphemous, of course. But are there not some people who live this way and who believe these things? Yes, they worship idols, just like the Babylonians did in the days of Habakkuk. People worship dumb dummies thousands of years ago. We can still worship dumb dummies today. Let, <clears throat> let's compare and contrast what we have learned so far from Habakkuk chapter 2 about the difference between idols and the one true God. First of all, idols are created things, according to verse 18. God, of course, is the creator of all things. Idols, we see in verse 18, also do not speak. But God speaks to us. He speaks to us in his word, and he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. And we also see in verse 19 that idols do not move. God, of course, is always on the move. God is always at work. That's the difference between him and idols. And finally, in verse 19, we see that idols are bright and shiny things, things like gold and silver that are very attractive to us. But God is truly glorious and beautiful. So when you look at idols and compare them with God, the question naturally arises, why would anyone worship an idol? The answer for the Babylonians and for us is that we are in control of our own idols. If we make an idol, we can and do control it. But no one is in control of God. God is wild. God is untamable. There is no telling what God might do, as the prophet Habakkuk himself discovered. So in every generation, people have created their own idols. In our pride, we human beings have created idols that have become our objects of trust and of love. And we have reduced the God of all the earth to the category of just one among many other man-made idols. But let me urge you not to worship an idol of your own making. Sooner or later, probably sooner, you will be disappointed by your idol. Your idol is useless. Your idol does not have the power of God. There is a God with breath. There is a God who speaks. And God's words create and destroy. God's words show the way to life. God can truly satisfy his people. So worship him and him alone. Don't be proud and create your own idol. 
your idol will fail you like it failed the Babylonians. Well, proud people create idols of their own making. But people of faith worship the Lord of all the earth. The answer to the idolatry of Babylon and to modern idolatries in America is found in Habakkuk 2 and verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The message of verse 20 is a message from God that is given to both the proud Babylonians as well as to people of faith like Habakkuk. Let's look first at the message that God wants to give to the Babylonians. It is a harsh message. Do you know what God eventually says to the Babylonians and to all proud people who are opposing him? Shut up. Silence. I am not like your idols, made by your own hands for your own convenience. I made you. I raise you up for my own purposes, and I am not silent, but I speak. And by my words, I create and I give life. And it is only by my word that I give to human beings the eternal life that is found by faith in my son, Jesus. So enough of your proud talk already. Just shut up already. At this point, some of you might wonder what the connection is between God's being in his holy temple in verse 20 and telling the Babylonians and all other proud peoples to be quiet. We see the connection in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah's words in chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. There we read, And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we, we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. We see in these verses in Isaiah that God is not just the God of his own people Israel. God is the Lord of all of the earth. Many peoples, peoples from all of the nations, are pictured as coming to the temple where God dwells. And God then gives to all of the peoples of the world his law and his word. And God eventually brings War to an end as he silences proud nations like the Babylonians. God silences the proud by judging them for their sin. But the message to let all of the earth keep silence before God is not just for proud unbelievers. It is also a message for people of faith like Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk was agitated. He was stirred up in his spirit. He could not understand how the holy God was going to use the wicked Babylonians 
to judge God's chosen people of Israel. And so Habakkuk wrestled with God in prayer over what God was doing. And now Habakkuk is coming to the end of his wrestling match. And what does God tell Habakkuk? Peace. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Worship me in awe. I am the Lord of all of the earth. I am the just God who will punish evil. I hold in my hand all of your enemies, all your enemies who threaten you. And although these enemies may do my will, they will never destroy my people. I will show mercy to all who trust in me. So quiet your heart. Look to me in worship. I think the message that God gives to Habakkuk here is very similar to the message that Job received. Job was also someone who wrestled with God. Job wrestled with God over his own personal suffering, while Habakkuk wrestled with God over the nation of Israel's suffering. But after Job wrestled with God, listen to what Job did in response in Job chapter 40 and verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. And so the end of our wrestling with God should lead to a place of silent, awe-filled, Worship. God wants us to come to a place of peace as we worship. We have peace as we see that God is Lord over all the earth. He is just in defeating his enemies, and he is merciful. Some of you today might not be in a place of peace. Some of you might be agitated like Habakkuk was agitated. And some of you might have been agitated by the sign I showed earlier in this message. Sorry about that. I guess I always have been something of an agitator. So I'd like to bring all of you to a place of peace this morning by having you calmly look at the sign which contains the creed of some of our secular neighbors here in Maine. I'd like to bring you to a place of peace by ultimately helping you to worship the Lord of all the earth. So what is the connection between the Christian God that we worship here in church and the creed that is written on this sign? Yes, there is a lot of political baggage that comes with each of these creedal statements. But each one of these statements at its root either reflects or distorts a biblical truth. This sign then gives us a chance to connect with our secular neighbors over what the Bible actually says. Our secular neighbors have made their own gods and their own idols. Naturally then, our secular neighbors have also had to make up their own morality as well. 
let's look at some connection points between our Christian creed and our secular neighbor's creed. Let's look at the first statement on the sign, Black Lives Matter. Would the Bible say that this statement is true? Absolutely. The Bible teaches that all people, no matter what their race, are made in the image of God. And the Bible teaches that in the church there is neither Jew nor Greek. All the races are equal. And the Bible teaches that people from every race and every tribe will be standing before the throne of Jesus in heaven, worshiping him. And so we Christians can say along with our secular neighbors, yes, black lives do matter. In fact, the Bible gives some of the best arguments as to why we should affirm that black lives matter. Then let's look at the statement on the creed in the sign, science is real. Secular people often assume that there is this huge divide between science and faith. You just can't believe in both, so the secular person believes. But what does the Bible actually say? The very first verse in the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is a God of order. And God created a world of order and of scientific laws that we, as God's people, can observe. And as we discover these scientific laws, we can worship God for how great he is and how awesome he is to have made this incredible world. Science and faith, then, have not gotten a divorce. There is nothing in the Bible that contradicts the reality of science or discourages the value of science. In fact, many of the greatest scientists in history, like Sir Isaac Newton, and the greatest scientists today, like Francis Collins, who directed the Human Genome Project, they have been and they are Christians. So my encouragement to you today is not to allow yourself to get agitated by the secular world around you, like Habakkuk was agitated by the Babylonians. Don't be agitated by your neighbor's yard signs, whether they are signs like this that I showed you this morning or signs for a particular political candidate. Instead, recognize that God's goal at all times is to bring both you and your neighbors to a place where you stand before God and his son Jesus and worship. God wants everyone to worship him. He wants to move people from a place of pride and idolatry to a place of worship and faith in Jesus Christ. And so when you see a yard sign that agitates you, don't ask yourself, what could my neighbor possibly be thinking to have a ridiculous sign like that in her yard? Instead, I would encourage you to ask yourself this question. Will I be worshiping Jesus in heaven with my neighbor someday? Will my neighbor and I 
share a moment of silent awe before the throne of Jesus one glorious day. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful that you are the one true God of all the earth. We come before you today in worship, knowing that you are the only one who is worthy of that worship. Oftentimes we are tempted to worship idols, and we know that our neighbors worship many different idols. I pray that all of us would worship you and you alone, and I pray that you would use us and our witness and our testimony to bring our neighbors to the place where they will acknowledge there is no God but you. There is no God that we should worship but Jesus. Please, Lord, use us to bring others to worship and bring us as well to a place where we can be used of you to bring people to faith in Christ. In your great name we pray.